We're going to have our boys and girls dismissed out in just a second. Before they go, let's take a moment and have a word of prayer. Ask God to bless our service this morning. We'll work in our hearts, work in the hearts of the boys and girls as they go to their classes as well. Father, we thank you for your word. This song we just sang is a prayer to you. Speak, O Lord. Father, we know that you speak to us. But we confess that sometimes we're not listening. This morning I pray for a tenderness of heart and mind, openness to your word and to your will, to your way in our lives. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that today they would trust in you. Lord, there is nothing better than a personal relationship with the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, holy God. I pray that this morning our hearts would be tuned to you, be listening as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, as your word is preached both in here and to the children. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, lead us, guide us, help us to obey your truth. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, boys and girls, you can be dismissed out now. You're headed to the fellowship hall with Mr. Josh and Miss Anna. <clears throat> headed out the front there. Let's take our Bibles, turn to John chapter 12 as they go. John chapter 12. Do you ever look back at your life and think about things that you said or things that you did and you say, wow, that was dumb. You ever felt like that? Maybe it's just me. Okay, some of you look at me like, Pastor, that's your problem, not mine. Okay, I'll speak for myself then. You ever look at your life and you say, boy, what is going on with me? I am struggling right now. Or you ever feel really burdened down with things and just a lot of struggle and you say, well, if I can just get to, and you fill in the blank with something, whatever point that is, get this much money, get past this big thing at work, get my kids past age two and a half, whatever it is, you know, if I just make it to three years old, then my life will be better, right? Sometimes that's how we look at things. If you think about it, a baby starts out and they get fussy about things, don't they? Well, I have a wet diaper, I'm hungry, I have problems, you know, and they want somebody to fix it and Somebody fixes my problems, then I'll be happy, right? Then life will be good. And then it'll, and, but what happens? Baby get, grows up, they no longer have some of the problems that they had before, but what do they have now? New problems, right? Well, now I'm fighting with my friend over this toy. You know, if I could just get the toy that I wanted to have, then I'd be happy. Then, then life would be great. It'd all be good. Wouldn't have any more problems because I'd have exactly what I want. Why? Because we're all selfish, right? But then the baby gets the toy that they want and they realize that doesn't make you happy either. You get a little bit older and then it's in school, right? And boy, if it's just summer break, then I'll be happy. Get out of school. Some of you kids know this. Summer's going strong and then, Mom, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. I need something to do, and we're not happy, right? And, and, and then I just want to go to school, and the first day of school is great, but then there's the second, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the hundredth, and you know, all those things, and 
it just doesn't make us happy, does it? And before us as adults, we get too pompous and pious about ourselves and look, yeah, those kids, boy, they just struggle, don't they? Think about us, right? We graduate from high school. Hey, it's exciting. Life's great. And then some of you, it's like, oh, now I've got to go to work. Some of you went off to college. And then you just prolonged the fun a little bit longer maybe in college. And you had a good time. But then that big freight train of life is coming at you, right? You've got to start. You've got to do something. We were talking with somebody the other day. You've heard the saying, right? There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe that's a freight train coming the other way. You don't know, right? <laughs> it may not be the light that you hope that it is, right? Life goes on. And then for some of us, we look out and we say, well, I'm going to meet that special someone and get married, and then it's all going to be great from then on in. Yeah, and then you get married, and you thought you had a lot of money, and you're driving your nice car. One of my friends, he had a 68 Camaro. It was green with white racing stripes, had the big engine in it, the extra special exhaust system on there. and Boy, it felt good to ride, and he never let me drive it, but I got to ride in it sometimes. We'd rumble down the street, and we'd feel really big and awesome. And a few years ago, I said, Nate, where'd that car go? He said, got married and had kids. <laughs> he said, you're looking at the car. It's, it's in the form of clothing for my kids and diapers for the babies and rent for the house. You know, life goes on. And those things that, boy, it's great if I could just get this and be happy and it all be perfect. It doesn't last, does it? And then... We say, well, it's going to be great when I get married. And then we find out, hey, marriages work too. There's hard things about that. And then, well, we'll just have babies. That would make it all better. It'll fix our marriage problems. And we won't fight about things because we'll have kids now. Well, now you just have more things to fight about, right? And more stress in your life to make you more about to fight about things. Hey, kids, well, when the kids grow up, it'll be great. And then what happens to a lot of people? Their kids grow up and they leave home and the parents look at each other and they're like, I don't even know you anymore. We've been so focused on our children and working with them, we've just lived kind of parallel lives, but they haven't been lives together. And we see marriages fall apart often as children leave home. And you think, wow, they've been married now for 25 years, 30 years, what's wrong? Well, because life has challenges all along the way. And for some of us, we look, well, the next thing, that's what's going to make me happy. And the same thing happens when you get a job. And, hey, I got my first job. And you see them show up working at Wendy's. And they got their new hat and their little shirt on. And everybody's ready. And then they're like, oh, I got to go to Wendy's every day now. You know, I hate Wendy's. For me and my friends growing up, they all worked at this same pizza place. And at first, it was exciting. Man, I get to eat pizza whenever I want. <laughs> when you're 16, that might sound really awesome. But when you're still working at the same pizza place when you're 25, you hate pizza. You don't want to eat pizza anymore, right? I hate pizza. I'm never eating pizza. It just doesn't bring happiness that we want. Well, then I'll have the grandkids. Well, and while grandkids may be wonderful, now my body's falling apart. And I can't run around with them like I want to. And I feel tired. And I feel sick. And it's a struggle. And we come full circle, don't we, sometimes? Back to the end. Back to the old wet diaper stage, right? I need somebody to fix this problem and then I'll be happy. And there's this life that we live that we want it to be a wonderful life, but sometimes it's very woeful. 
There's good things and there's bad things. And sometimes we hope, well, if I just get through the bad things, then the good things will happen. If I just make it through this, then life will all be good. But some of you are smiling because you've lived life long enough to know you get through this bad thing, guess what? There's probably going to be something else coming. And while there's some good things along the way, there's a lot of bad mixed in too. It's good and bad. And I think rather than life being cycles where it's like, well, I'm in a great time of life and now I'm in an awful time of life, I think sometimes it's more like two parallel train tracks, good and bad, that when things are good, things are also bad at the same time. There's good and bad happening to us almost simultaneously sometimes. Sometimes it's one area of life is really good, but at the same time, then there's another area of my life that's really a struggle. Some of you know that, right? Maybe your business is good, but now your health starts to fail because you're focused on your business. Or things are good with your family, but you feel like, well, now I don't have enough time to put in to earn the money that I want. Whatever it is, right? There's good and bad on both sides. Some of us are naturally, I would say, optimists, right? We just see the, the glass is half full all the time. Others, it's half empty, right? And I would say in, in our marriage, Shandy and I, one of us tends to be more optimistic about things. One tends to be more pessimistic about things. And that's probably true for a lot of you as well with the people that you're around. And you look at things and say, it's great, everything's good. And then you talk to the other person, like, oh man, it's doom and gloom, it's awful. Did you see the weather this week? Did you see how much rain is coming this way? you see what's going to happen? And there's all kinds of different perspectives on that. But in this passage, in John chapter 12, we see Jesus in the final days leading up to His crucifixion. Now remember, Jesus is God. Jesus knows what's coming. He sees the future. He knows the end from the beginning. And at this time that some we could easily say is probably the most woeful, awful time in all of history when the creator of the universe is crucified. From another perspective, it's also the most wonderful time in all of history because this is when the gospel is completed that we can now have forgiveness of our sin because someone took our punishment for us. And I hope this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, there are two tracks in life, the woeful and the wonderful. And sometimes they run parallel one to the, one to the other. But as we look at this passage this morning, let's begin reading in, actually back in verse 27 of John chapter 12. Jesus says here, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You see, Jesus here, He's very clear about His struggle. He says, Now is my soul troubled, agitated, distressed, stirred up. Jesus is sharing the emotional struggle that He is going through. I want you to know this morning, you have a God, we have a God that cares about emotions. He created us, us with emotions and He cares about the emotional struggle of life. Sometimes we think, well, if i got to come to God, i just got to somehow suck it up and deal with it and push those feelings down and just push on forward. Jesus Himself said, Now is my soul 
trouble. He's going through a difficult time emotionally. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus is having a conversation with his heavenly Father. Jesus, God's Son, is having a conversation with God the Father, and God is speaking back to his Son. Now, Jesus knows what his Father thinks. Jesus knows what his Father would say because he's God. And yet Jesus is still having this conversation with him. Do you think it was because Jesus didn't know? No, Jesus actually says the purpose for this in a few verses here. Verse 29, he says, The people, therefore, that stood by, heard it, said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. The people didn't know what it was. But in verse 31, now is, or in verse 30, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. God spoke to Jesus, not because Jesus didn't know what God would say, but because the people needed to hear what God had to say. God speaks so that we can listen and hear what he has to say. He says, the voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. God is working to make it abundantly clear to his people who Jesus truly is. That Jesus is God. And that God has a purpose in and through Jesus. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Folks, Jesus has been answering this question over and over again throughout the book of John to this very same group of people. They keep asking him, who's the son of man? Jesus says, I am. Who's the son of man? I am. Starts to sound like the old Abbott and Costello. Who's on first, right? Like, how, more, how much more clear can I be, right? This is what Jesus is saying. These people says, who is the son of man? They still can't figure it out. Folks, we live in a world today, it's not that God isn't speaking, but people aren't listening. Amen. It's not that the truth is not available for people to know, and that God hasn't revealed Himself through His Word to us, but people are ignoring the truth. And even sometimes as Christians, we're guilty of the same thing. God has given us His Word, the truth, and we looked at this several chapters ago about the truth. What does the Bible say? That the, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And yet people are living in bondage because they don't listen to the truth. Jesus tells these people over and over who He is. Jesus tells them over and over what He can do. He demonstrates it through His works. He says it with His words, and yet people still aren't listening. Who is this Son of Man? They say. 
Then look at verse 35. Then, said, then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Verse 36, while ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Let's stop there for a minute. We see, and I've already talked about this through the introduction, life has two tracks, right? There's the good and the bad. There's the woeful and the wonderful. Jesus is heading towards death, and He's dealing with both awful, woeful, horrible things, and He's dealing with wonderful things at the same time. Jesus is suffering. He's, He's headed towards more suffering. We see in this passage of Scripture, He's suffering emotionally. Right? He says, now is my soul troubled. There are times in life where it's okay to say, I'm not okay. I'm struggling. Life is hard. But sometimes when we struggle, what do we do? We run from God instead of to God. When Jesus in His time of struggle, where did He come? He went to His Father. He spoke to His Father. He said, now is my soul troubled. Where do you run when your soul is troubled? Do you run from God? Do you run away and hide? Do you run in your corner and pout and struggle and talk about all the problems? Or do you come to God? Folks, I want our church to be a place where people can feel safe coming to God and sharing their struggle. If someone comes here and they're struggling, love them. Encourage them. If they don't have a smile on their face, When they come to church on Sunday morning, you don't have to walk up to them and say, what's your problem, right? (laughs) They obviously have one, just like we all do. Love them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Point them to Christ. This weekend, we got to spend some time planning, but one other very important part of this the last three days was prayer. Not just planning, but prayer time. We spent hours praying for you. We spent hours praying for each other. And it was a blessed time. A lot of times we're so busy and we got so many things going on that we don't get to, or we don't take the time to pray like we should, do we? But there is a blessing in coming together and praying. The Bible talks about when two or three are gathered together, that the Lord's there in the midst. And that when we pray, God will hear our prayers. The book of James says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means it does a lot of good. But it takes time to pray, doesn't it? Sometimes we say, well, I can't pray. My mind is not where where I can pray. My heart, I'm struggling. It's hard. I don't even know what to say. God has you there too. Because He says the Holy Spirit is there making utterance for us even when we don't have the words to say, is the paraphrase, basically what the Bible says, that He's there speaking on our behalf. God is good. He loves us. Jesus is suffering emotionally as He prepares to go to the cross. Jesus is also suffering physically physically. 
He's getting ready to go through all the torture and all the pain. Look at verse 33. It said, This He said, signifying what death He should die. Jesus knows what's about to happen to Him. He knows what kind of death He is going to die. He knows that He will be crucified. And historians and scientists have said that crucifixion is probably one of the most awful ways ever devised by man to kill somebody else. Because it doesn't kill them quickly, it often would take days. And while they were suffering in agony, they were hanging there for all to see. Jesus knew what was coming. He was suffering physically. We suffer physically sometimes in life too, don't we? Sickness, pain, struggle. Somebody even causing physical pain in our life. Some of you may be suffering physically. And the reality, folks, is sin has infected all of creation. There's a curse because of sin. There will be physical suffering in this life. But Jesus is also suffering relationally. Think about this. He's reaching out to these people and they reject Him. These people that He loves, these people that He came to seek and to save, and they turn their backs on Him. The people that He says, I am the Son of Man, and they say, who is the Son of Man? You know this to be true probably in your own life. When you're suffering emotionally and physically, what often happens? You also suffer relationally. When you're going through an emotional struggle or physical struggle, it often hurts the relationships in your life, doesn't it? Because some people pull away from you. Say, I don't want to be around that person. They're just sad all the time. Well, you don't know why they're sad, maybe. Well, I don't want to be around that person. I don't understand. I'm not even sure what to say to them. And so we have pain in our relationships because of the pain in our emotional being or in our physical body. In the midst of all of this struggle, all of this woe though, Jesus still teaches us that it can be wonderful even in the most difficult of times. Remember, life has two tracks, woeful and wonderful. You say, well, how could it be wonderful at the same time? Let me give you six questions to consider when you face difficult times that may help you to understand that there's also some wonderful things going on. Question one, what is God's will for me? Think about this. Look at verse 27. Jesus, as He's speaking to God, He says, Now is my soul troubled. He shares that there's a struggle, but He says then, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Ask yourself, what is God's will for me? Jesus was able to go through this difficult, awful, horrible time that's far worse than anything any of us have ever faced because He understood His Father's will. He understood that God had a purpose. Now you say, well, He's God. <laughs> he can perfectly know God's purpose. I don't know what God's will is for me. Well, the Scripture is clear, though, that God's will for you is always good. This didn't feel good to Jesus. Just like maybe what you're going through doesn't feel good to you. But God's will is always good. For those who love God. And those are the called according to His purpose. 
when you're going through a struggle, ask yourself this question. What is God's will for me? Jesus said, even in the Lord's Prayer, do you remember that part? He says, Thy will be done. Do we live our life that way? Looking at God and saying, God, Thy will be done. I am submitting myself to Your plan. I know You have a purpose in my life, in my emotional pain, my physical pain, my relational pain. God, You have a purpose. God, help me to see Your purpose. I think another question to consider is this, how can I glorify God? In this time of struggle, in this time of pain, in this time of woe, how can I glorify God? Look at verse number 28. Jesus says, speaking to God the Father, He says, Father, glorify thy name. He says, I'm struggling right now. My soul's troubled. He says, I know, but you have me for a particular reason. For this cause I came. And then he says, Father, glorify thy name. Is that our attitude? God, you've put me in this time of struggle. Life is hard. Life is painful. I don't like it. But God, glorify your name. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God created you. He made you. He put you in the life that you're in. He allowed the circumstances that are in your life to bring glory to Him. How can I glorify God? Sometimes the way I can glorify God is just by being patient through a difficult time. And other people look at me and say, wow, how do they do that? Now I get to glorify God, right? Because God. Well, I've gone through some suffering, some struggle. How do you survive? God. But you're facing this and you don't have any answers. Where do you get the answers? God. Well, you're sick and you're about to die. Isn't that awful? Yes, but I know I'm going to be with God. Glorify God. How can I glorify God in the situation that I'm in? Sometimes we don't know, but this is an important question to ask. God, why am I here? If I'm here, I know it's to bring glory to you, so God, help me to glorify you. When you're struggling, glorify God. It doesn't mean you can't admit that you're struggling. Jesus did. But what it does mean is that you should seek God with all your heart with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. How can I glorify God? In our culture, people often will say to other people, hey, you do you. You just be you. But see, that's a selfish way to look at life. And that's not how God created us, just to be us and you do you. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I am to live to bring glory to God. 
One way the Bible talks about this and the idea of glory, it, it uses the illustration of a reflection. Right? Glory is sometimes compared to light or brightness. When you got up this morning and you began to get ready to come here, I would guess that probably all of you at some point along the way, you, you paused and you looked in a mirror, didn't you? And the mirror gave back a reflection of how you look, good or bad, right? But that allowed you to fix the problem so that you could be prepared to come here today. So the mirror reflected what was there. And God has created us to be reflectors of His glory so that when people see us, they ought to see God being reflected in us to them. When people look at you and your struggle and your pain and your difficulty or, or your good times and the great times and everything's awesome, are they seeing God reflected back? Or are they just seeing another fallen human being that couldn't care less about God, that only cares about doing them, just being themselves and doing what they're going to do? No, we need to ask ourselves this question, how can I glorify God? That's what Jesus did. Jesus asked God, He said, glorify your name. Glorify your name. When hardship comes, we can grow closer to God. So that when people look at us, they can see God at work in us. Thirdly, another question to ask ourselves, we've seen that we need to ask, what is God's will for me? Secondly, how can I glorify God? Thirdly, what is God revealing to me? Look at verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Through this difficult time, God may be teaching me something that I need to know. As God spoke, it was to, for the purpose of teaching these people something that they needed to know. And the difficulty you may be going through, there may be a wonderful piece of that because God may be teaching you something that you need to know. How do you learn to be a, a parent? You have kids. Is having kids always easy? Mm -mm. But who are the best parents? Often the ones who have had kids and gone through struggles with their kids. They make really great parents. There may be a kid singular, child singular, plural. It doesn't matter. But you've never looked at somebody who didn't have children and say, wow, they're great parents. No. The only great parents are ones that have children, right? No offense if you don't have children, but you can't be a great parent if you don't have children, right? This is impossible. You can't be a great husband unless you have a wife. You can't be a great wife unless you have a husband. You can't be a great employee unless you work for somebody, right? Simple. No one here this morning is saying, well, I'm just a great pastor, because I get to be the pastor this morning. And you may or may not think I'm a great pastor. And that's okay. That's not the point. But you can only be great at something that you are doing. You can only learn to deal with difficulty by going through difficulty. You can only gain patience, as James says, through the trying of your faith. You've never met somebody who's a really patient person who's never gone through anything difficult. 
how could they be patient? They've never had to be patient. It's been good all the way through. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I'm just praying for patience. And I say, well, realize praying for patience means you're praying for the trying of your faith. Because James says, patience only comes through the trying of your faith. The trying of your faith worketh patience. So if you want patience, that's an honorable, good thing to want. But realize your faith is going to be tried. You're going to go through difficulty. Why? Because muscles don't grow unless they're stretched, unless they're pushed, unless they push against really hard things, right? That's what makes them stronger. How can I glorify God? What is God revealing to me? Number four, where is the enemy lurking? There's always an enemy. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Who is the prince of this world? It's not the president of the United States. Even though people, no matter which party you're in, like to always pick on the president of the United States as the reason for all the problems in the world. The prince of this world is Satan. It's the devil. Jesus is speaking here of the power of Satan, but He says that when what He is come to accomplish, when it is all finished, when it is done, and it's still not all done, right? Jesus died, He was buried, He rose again, He ascended up to heaven, but He still is coming again. So it's not all finished completely, but when it's all finished and done forever, what's going to happen? The prince of this world will be cast out. But until then, he's still here. When we go through struggle, realize it's not just because God is fighting against you. It very possibly could be Satan's fighting against you. But what does Satan love to do? He loves to bring struggle and pain in our life so that we either turn on God or turn on each other or sometimes even turn on ourselves. And all the time, Satan's just sitting back laughing. He's got us all twisted up. Realize there, there may be an enemy lurking here. When you're going through a struggle, Satan may be fighting really hard. Some people will say, well, pastor, I've just started coming to church. I, I want to start growing in the Lord. I want to learn more about God. I want to do what's right. And, and we want things to work out and go better. Listen. If Satan hasn't been fighting against you, when you start serving God, what do you think just might happen? The devil may say, all right, I'm coming with the big stick now, right? Because they're trying to do right, so I'm going to keep them from doing right. When you're already doing wrong, he's already got you on his team. You don't fight against your own team. But boy, when you step out and start to do right, don't be surprised when the enemy comes out to fight against you. Don't be surprised. And when he comes... Don't then turn on God, because that's exactly what He'd like you to do. Say, well, see, I tried to serve God. I tried to do what God wanted me to do, and look what happened. That's why I don't follow God. I'm just going to do my own thing. Satan wins again. And he's been winning and winning and winning in people's lives for thousands of years with that same old lie. But we believe it every time. And we think we're really smart at the same time, don't we? 
Well, if you believe in God, that's because you're just a foolish person. If you're really smart, you'd believe that there was no God. Satan goes, yeah, you're really smart. And the Bible says the fool has said there is no God. You're foolish to say that there is no God. Satan wants you to believe that. Realize the prince of the power of the air, he's a very real thing. The Bible says in the, script, in, in, in the Word of God, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a battle. And some of the struggle is because we're fighting not just against our own weak flesh, not just through the own, our own struggle because of the wicked world that we live in, but because Satan himself or one of his demons is coming out against us. But folks, we can win through the power of God. That's why Ephesians 6 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is very real. Realize the enemy may be lurking. But see, when Satan is fighting against us, don't get discouraged, don't quit. That means you're doing the right thing, right? When the enemy's fighting against you, that means you're doing the good, the, the good thing, the right thing. If you've ever played sports, who does the other team want to defend against? The best player, right, on the other team, right? You defend against the best player. Maybe some of you have played sports before and you're running around on the field and you're running up and down the court and nobody's guarding you. And you're like, look at me, I'm open. I hate to let you in on it. There might be a reason they're not guarding you. <laughs> Maybe you're not a threat. <laughs> yeah, leave that guy open. <laughs> he couldn't score if his life <laughs> depended on it. <laughs> pass me the ball. What, Coach, why does nobody pass me the ball? <laughs> I've, I've had that experience a time or two, and maybe you have too. Folks, when you're serving God and you're doing what He wants you to do, expect resistance. If Satan's fighting against you, that could be an encouragement to you so that you know you're doing the right thing. Where is the enemy lurking? Number five, who can I teach? Look at verse number 34. Jesus, the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? When you are suffering, God can be teaching more than you have ever learned. He may be teaching something to you and to other people through your life. When you go through suffering, you now gain credibility to be able to teach someone else who's going through the same pain that you're going through. I am thankful for a church with all kinds of different people because that's one of the ways we can minister one to another. I haven't been through everything that some of you have been through. But the things that you have been through, God has allowed you to go through those for a purpose. He wants to bring glory through it, and God may just be able to teach somebody else through your life. You may be able to teach somebody something that I could never teach them. Because you have the credibility. You have the t-shirt, right, as we like to say. You've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You've been through the struggle and the pain, and you can help somebody because of how God has helped you. Ask yourself this question where you're going through a struggle. 
who can I teach? But that's not our focus often, isn't it? When we go through a struggle, we pull in, we pull away. We're not wanting to teach anybody. We're just going to have a hard time. Listen, acknowledge the struggle. Let God know that it's hard. Ask other Christians to pray for you and encourage you. That's what we're here to do. To be a family unified around the person and work of Jesus Christ. But ask yourself, who can I teach? And number six, questions to ask when you're facing struggle in life. Where has God provided light? Look at verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light. Who is the light? It's Jesus, right? He says, Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. For while ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. This world is a dark place. And Jesus is, as he says, the light of the world. But this is where Christians and non-Christians fundamentally disagree. See, non-Christians will say, well, this world, yes, has its problems, but it's going to get better. Folks, it's not getting better. Christians say, no, it's bad and it's getting worse. You say, well, all those Christians, pessimists. No, we understand the reality of sin and the darkness of this world. But he says, look to the light. Where has God provided light? Where has God provided some answers? God gives light through His Word. God gives light through the work of Jesus Christ. There should be, and I think there is, light through this church as people are gathered together to worship God. When you go through the struggle, look to the light. Don't run from the light. If you were lost in the woods and it's getting dark and you see the sun going down through the trees and you're afraid that you're going to get caught, where do you go? You head to the light. You chase the light. When we chase the light, we'll make it home. But when we run from the light, we just find ourselves in further darkness. There's two tracks in life, the woeful and the wonderful And often these tracks run side by side. And when we go through the difficulties of life, it's important to ask ourselves these questions. What is God's purpose? How can I glorify God? Who can I teach? Where is the enemy lurking? Where has God provided light? What is God revealing to me? These are all ways that we can take very difficult times and realize that it doesn't remove the difficulty, but it helps us to see that there's some wonderful things happening at the same time. Just as it was with Jesus as He went to the cross. He went through pain. He went through suffering. He went through struggle. But He could do it because He knew there was a wonderful purpose that God had. Let me ask you this question. Are you traveling on the woeful track? There were some people here that were. Look at verse 36. The, back, the end of the verse, it says, These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide Himself from them. Verse 37, But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. They had seen it. 
We look at it today and say, if someone rose from the dead, I mean, Lazarus did, Jesus brought him back, wouldn't they all believe? Evidently not. There was a sick girl, and, and Jesus brought her back to life, wouldn't everybody believe? Evidently not. Jesus took water and he turned it into wine. Wouldn't that make you believe? Jesus took five loaves and, and two fish and he fed over 5,000 people. Wouldn't that make you believe? Jesus walked on water. Why don't you believe? They didn't. Some people are on the woeful track and they don't understand that God is also at work in wonderful ways. They did not believe. Though they had seen His miracles. Verse 38, notice, this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. That Jesus would do miracles and people would not believe. Verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah had said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. There's two kinds of people on this woeful track. And they're talked about in this passage. First, there's the unsaved and unscared. The people who say, I don't know God and I don't care. Because I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not scared of what might come. Jesus here is He's speaking and He's talking about this prophecy of Isaiah. And we won't take time to turn there for sake of time this morning, but I'd encourage you this afternoon to go back and read Isaiah chapter 6. Because in Isaiah chapter 6... Isaiah encounters God. He sees God in his temple. He says, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And the angels around him, they cried, holy, holy, holy. The earth is full of his glory. And as Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, Isaiah said these words, Woe is me, for I am a man undone. I am a man of unclean lips why did he say that about himself he said it there because mine eyes have seen the king folks when we understand who god really is we get a much better clearer perspective at who we are and we tend to lift ourselves up and think highly of ourselves but if we will get a clear view of god we'll understand we're nothing and he's everything and He's our Lord and our Savior and He's our Creator and He's our Father and He's our friend. And we need to follow Him and obey Him and not live life for ourselves. But there are some people, many people, that are unsaved and they're unscared. They're not worried about it. That's sad. Jesus is telling these people through His miracles, through His words, I am God and I'm here to save you. And it's as if these people respond by saying, no, you're not. Who is the Son of Man? We saw the miracles, but we're not going to believe. See, some people say, well, I'm just indifferent. Being indifferent is no better. It's not good either. 
to be indifferent to who God is and what God has done is not going to help us either. If you just don't care, boys and girls, you know this, right? When mom and dad say, hey, we're going to have this for dinner, or what do you want to eat? And you go, I don't care. That attitude doesn't help anything, does it? That don't care attitude. Instead, we're either for or against something. And not making up your mind is making up your mind against something. You can't be indifferent to the things of God. And notice here he talks about how Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, how he saw his glory, how he spake of him. And then he talks about how Isaiah, as he spoke to the people, as he was around the people, the children of Israel, there were many that did not believe on him. And the same thing happened when Jesus came. He did all these miracles. He did all these works. And it says here that people's hearts were hardened. But if you notice what the passage says, it says, verse 40, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart. Wait a minute. What do you mean, Pastor? You mean to tell me that God was hardening people's hearts? That doesn't sound like a God who loves people. Now let's step back just a minute. What was going on when this conversation was happening in John chapter 12, do you remember what special time of year it was in Israel and Jerusalem? Passover. In the Old Testament, where is the Passover recorded? Do you know which book of the Bible it is? It's the second one. Exodus. The first time the Passover is talked about. The Exodus is the story of the children of Israel when they were enslaved in bondage in Egypt and God led them out of Egypt, gave them their freedom from slavery and led them across the wilderness towards the promised land. And the story of Passover is in there. Now, if you remember, as the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, God sent somebody, a man by the name of Moses, to go to Pharaoh and to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? <laughs> no way. These people, they're our slaves. They do work for us. I'm not letting them go. And so what did God do? He sent a series of ten plagues, right? Each one really worse than the previous one. Until the final plague, the tenth plague, as the death angel passed over and, and took the lives of the firstborn in each household, except for those that had made the sacrifice and put the blood on their door. So what do you think the people at this time in John have been reading and studying and talking a lot about as they're celebrating Passover? Exodus. You think they're thinking about Pharaoh? It's as if Jesus, through his conversation and his teaching and preaching to these people is calling to mind what they were already thinking about Pharaoh hardening his heart and when you study that passage of scripture about Pharaoh hardening his heart you'll actually see two things happening there you'll see it, the Bible will say Pharaoh hardened his heart and then it'll say and God hardened his heart you're like well which was it did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart the, word, the, the phrase hardened his heart is used about 19 times talking about Pharaoh. And about half the time it's Pharaoh hardening his heart, and the other half the time it's God hardening his heart. So which was it? Yes. Well, how can it be both? 
How can that work? Some, some older, much wiser person that lived a long time ago said this. The same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. Think about that. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. As Pharaoh hardened his heart and hardened his heart, and God continued to come after him, yes, you say, well, he's bringing plagues and punishment, but each time he would stop the plague when Pharaoh asked for it to be stopped. He was showing Pharaoh mercy and love over and over and over again. He did it nine times. And over and over and over again, Pharaoh hardened his heart till the tenth time. So what hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it God out there being mean to Pharaoh and forcing him to do the wrong thing? No, it was God's love and his mercy. Have you ever experienced that? You're demonstrating love for someone and it just seems like they get harder towards you. It happens, doesn't it? So did you harden their heart or did they harden their heart? Yes. The same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. And so Jesus, speaking to these people here, he's talking about how God had hardened their heart. These were people whose heart were hard towards God. And as God continued to demonstrate who he was and be God and love these people and do miracles and reach out to these people, their hearts were hardened because of the love of God that was shown to them. You see, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His salvation is open and available to all. But people that harden their hearts against God, not all will be saved. Because some people will choose not to follow God. And the love of God, instead of softening them, it will be a, bring hardness in their life. They will further resent God and what He has done. Let's not be like this unsaved, unscared person who hardens their heart. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Don't harden your heart to the things of God today. If God is speaking to you, if you're going through struggle or difficulty or pain or suffering, don't harden your heart to God. He loves you. And He cares for you. And then secondly, we see the saved and scared. We're almost done. I know this is a long message this morning. The saved and scared. We see these people here further down in the passage as they heard what Jesus had done. They saw what He did. Verse 37. Though He had done, I'm sorry, though He had done so many miracles, yet they believed not on Him. I've got to go on down here. Verse number 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also Many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So here were people that believed on Jesus, but did not acknowledge it publicly because they were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue. And we have people like that today too. They're living on the woeful track. They're living on the struggle of their Christian life because they're afraid to let anybody else know about it. Because if they do, well, I might lose my job. Or I might go through some pain, or I might go through some suffering. My family might reject me, or the people that I care about might turn their back on me. See, there used to be a social benefit to going to church, didn't there? 
We used to have a culture in our country where if you were, uh, wanted to get ahead in business, if you wanted to be even elected as a political leader, you had to claim a certain religion. And you had to say that you were a member of a specific church and that you went somewhere and that you did something because there was a benefit to that. And so people who I don't think really cared about God claimed that they followed God just so everybody else would like Him. But now the tide is turned. The church is no longer in. It's now out. Going to church is not necessarily the popular thing anymore. It's kind of, okay, whatever. If you want to do that, that's fine. But we don't really care. And so it doesn't matter to people like it used to matter. And so there are still people today that are like this who will say, well, I want to believe on Jesus, but I don't really want anybody else to know. It's a private thing. I've talked to people like that. I've, I've given invitations to our church to people, and they'll say, well, I go to church, but I don't want to talk to you about that. Why not? What are you afraid of? We're afraid of the social order of things in our world, of what people will think of us, of what rejection we might face. Folks, Jesus, aren't you thankful He wasn't worried about what people thought of Him or the suffering He might face? so that He could save you? The Bible says when they reviled Him, He reviled not again. He didn't turn back against them. He didn't fight against them. Jesus didn't shy away from it. He went to the cross, gladly taking the pain and the suffering on Himself, even our sin, so that the Bible says God the Father, that amazing relationship between God the Son and God the Father, both God... Co-equal, it says, though, that God the Father turned His back on Him. I can't imagine that. This relationship that had been absolutely perfect, complete for all of eternity, and now God turns His back on His Son. Why? Because His Son, Jesus, was carrying your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. But Jesus bore that sin for us. What a wonderful story. That's wonderful. So while in history we have this awful time, this woeful thing is God is crucified, it's also wonderful because the world can be saved. So finally this morning, will you travel on the wonderful track? Jesus cried and said, verse 44, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth that him that sent me, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. What a wonderful truth. Jesus came to save the world. He invites anyone and everyone. Jesus is God, and we are sinners, and Jesus came to give us the opportunity for a relationship with God and eternal life. Whoever believes this will have eternal life, but whoever rejects this will be eternally separated from God. So we've got the two tracks, the woeful and the wonderful but you know, there's a place where those two tracks converge, and that's at the foot of the cross, where it all comes together. And when we look at our life, the struggle, the pain, the difficulty, 
Let's remember the cross. So whether you're going through pain and suffering, whether it's relational pain, physical pain, emotional pain, it all comes back together at the cross, remembering what Jesus did for us and remembering His purpose for us in life to go into this world and to share the gospel so that others may know that Jesus Christ saves sinners. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but my goal in this message was to encourage you to help you see that there is a God who cares. And even Jesus, His soul was troubled. If your soul is troubled this morning, you can follow Him. If you're going through pain and suffering in your life, look to Jesus. Follow Him. Maybe you are a believer this morning, but you're maybe in the saved and scared crowd sometimes. I think we all are if we're honest sometimes. I'm afraid sometimes. You're afraid sometimes. We're human beings. But Jesus loves you and He was willing to go through everything so that He could reach you. Let's be willing to follow Him and not be ashamed. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. It's the power of God. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You can go tell the world and people may like it, they may not. But we're representing the King of kings and Lord of lords. They didn't like Jesus either. They crucified Him. And as someone once said, they haven't crucified me yet. We're still here. Let's live for the Lord faithfully and serve Him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close the service this morning? God has spoken to your heart about some area of your life, some pain or some struggle. Would you give that to Him this morning? If I can pray with you, I'll just be right down here, down front. Feel free to slip out of your seat and come down here and we'll pray together. Maybe after church this morning, you need to share something with me or with someone else in the church and just say, my soul is troubled. Would you please pray for me and help encourage me in this area? Folks, that's what a church ought to be. A body of people that are trying to follow God together. And I hope that you'll come to Him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never trusted in Him, folks, we serve a wonderful God who loves us. Jesus came to die in your place so that you don't have to. You can have eternal life. You can be forgiven of everything you've ever done that was wrong and everything that you should have done that you didn't do. Jesus can take away the guilt, the shame, the punishment, and give you eternal life. Father, work in our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.